are you? Where are you? Well, Baden, I'm a little tired and grimy from the road. Um, and I am about 30 kilometers out from Trujillo. We've been riding for, is it about 70 kilometers today? So yeah, feeling a little sleepy here in the, uh, the little town of Chiclin. And we are actually sitting on a park bench on their kind of main road, which is about 30 meters from the Pan American Highway. Um, we're sitting in front of a little cevicheria but instead of going on inside for a delicious fishy lunch, we have just eaten banana sandwiches. Nutritious. <laughs> Welcome to the How Are You, Where Are You podcast. This is an audio travelogue of our adventures by bike. So we search out tailwinds wherever we can find them between London, England and the Hutt Valley of New Zealand via Latin America. Although sadly today, it's been a headwind the whole morning. In breaking news, we're in Peru. And we've been putting our noses to the, well, the limit, the absolute grindstone, I guess. We've done over, well, we've done our longest consecutive stint of cycling of the whole trip since we started in April. Uh, in the last, well, in these 11 days of February, we've done over a thousand kilometers and we've just, uh, and we've cycled every single day since Guayaquil. So, oh, that's why I'm so tired. Yeah, I, I guess that's got something to do with it, isn't it? Um, but it, we've had to be really disciplined to be able to pull this off, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We, we've been going to bed pretty early every night, um, setting the alarm for 3.45 in the morning so that we can get up and ride before it gets too hot. Um, and, you know, every day when we finish, we've got to, obviously we find somewhere to stay, but then we've also got to like, hand wash a whole load of clothes and... Um, go out in search of food, um, not only for dinner, but also we've got to prepare for our, what is, when are we normally having breakfast, like 4.30 in the morning? Yeah, about 4.30 in the morning, we're um, tipping out some granola into our little plastic bowls, and uh, I'm eating it with a plastic spoon, and because we've lost our sporks, our sporks uh, disappeared, we think we left them in pasto, uh, so... Hopefully they've uh, they've gone to a good home, but yes, yeah, so I'm eating up from a plastic spoon, and Shelley doesn't want the plastic spoon. She's instead gone for a spoon that she found on the side of the road. <laughs> it was actually on the road, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the spoon was on the road, and I said, okay, well, if you must have it, do not eat anything from it until you've been able to uh, sterilize in hot water. Now, to the best of my knowledge, that spoon has yet to be sterilised. No, it hasn't been sterilised. It was being run over by cars. I guess that's the sterilisation <laughs> process which Shelley is comfortable with. Um, soap and cold water. Yeah, soap and cold water. So, yeah, I mean, this is the glamour. This is the, the real glamour of the cycle tourist lifestyle. And, you know, you might be wondering why we're sort of pedaling so hard out at the moment and it's because we've been in the desert <laughs> there ain't nothing around here like seriously peru it just feels like a massive country i guess it's probably because it is it is massive yes that's right so this like we we crossed into peru and immediately we were in the desert and it was our first experience on the bike riding through a desert on this trip is that right yeah yeah i think so yeah it's spectacular too, isn't it? I mean, especially with these early morning starts, the sunrise across the desert, you know, you've got the road to yourself. 
um, oh, it's kind of spooky and creepy, isn't it? Yeah, it is really beautiful. Yesterday morning, I felt like it was reminding me of Stargate a little bit, that film. You don't know that film, do you? No, I don't do No, of course you don't. But the, the downside of it all is it's, the, it's probably the trashiest part of our trip so far. There is so much rubbish on the side of the road. There's obviously no local rubbish collection, and instead people just take their rubbish out into the desert and just, like, chuck it on the ground. And uh, a lot of it's like nappies and things, isn't it? Uh. Disposable diet filled with yeah you know what and uh, <laughs> it's 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 been such a strange landscape sometimes like the desert has gone all stretched all the way to the coastline um, sometimes there are you're riding along the road and like a big dune a sand dune has sort of like crept up right to the side of the road yeah it's um but there's also these like quite big um, mountains like mm. kind of like I don't know how to say them. They're sort of by themselves. They're just a random huge hill. Yeah, they're like a maximum of two to three hundred meters high. Maximum, probably. Really? Some of them so look really actually, big. Some of them are really big, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, much higher. Yeah. So it's just a very, it's a very strange kind of landscape. And and the thing, the most important thing is, there's never any shops or restaurants or anything. So yeah. sometimes some people sell fizzy drinks, but sometimes they're not cold because these people don't always have electricity. So it's kind of like, yay, we can get a fizzy drink. Not yay, it's a warm Fanta. Yeah, that's kind of a bit unappetizing, really. But yeah, so, you know, that's why we've had to sort of pedal on because there's, 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 you know, cycle touring for us has been about all these places in between. And in northern Peru at the moment, there just don't seem to be any places in between. So we're just sort of like, I don't know, a night in the desert doesn't really appeal. Uh, and what we're, we're only paying like $8 for rooms and stuff at the moment, so it's been uh, pretty cheap to find some sort of scroungy accommodation that we only need We only need the very basics. And so... <laughs> That's all we generally get. But yeah. it's been really friendly here in Peru. We noticed, you know, Colombia was super friendly, and then, and then Ecuador, the friendliness levels dipped slightly, just in terms of kind of support on the road and waving and things like that. And then we crossed into Peru and straight away people were waving and saying hello and yeah. giving us a friendly toot. We still don't can't, we still can't read all the toots though. Like sometimes you get a toot like get out of my way, get make sure you're stuck on the side of the road. Sometimes it's a friendly toot, uh, like an encouraging toot, and sometimes they're just tooting at someone else. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's a very toot-heavy driving culture here. It's it's not really. I wouldn't call it Rome, uh, <laughs> but yeah, people seem to be holding holding down the horns the whole time. But yeah, the the friendly factor is a, I kind of um, this guy in uh, Quito in Ecuador. He told me about no, he was he was a foreigner, and he said that there's a sort of a three meter rule in Ecuador. And it's when someone comes within three meters of you, they'll pay attention to you. You know, they'll, they'll, they might say hello or anything like that. But if you're not within the three meters, you don't exist. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, did you kind of notice that Maybe. sometimes? Maybe. Yeah. You know, like uh, in Colombia, a lot of people took a lot of interest in us being cycle tourists. And, you know, but yeah, in Peru, no one would really staring us down or anything just minding their own business and you know that's that's fine but it was just different that's all we've sort of noticed but here in Peru I mean yeah two guys have just like gone past us at the moment and they've just like given us a good stare down um, curious about what we're doing and a friendly smile as well
So these two guys that went past us are in these little moto taxis, which also appeared as we crossed into Peru. Um, and they're just a motorbike that's been adapted. It's got two wheels on the back, so it's become a trike. And the back part is covered with this canvas, canvas kind of, I don't know, what do you call it? Yeah, I guess it's just like a canvas covering sort of thing. But sometimes they're really pimped up, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, people paint Batman onto the sides of them. <laughs> now, I, there was one with a spoiler on it the other day as well. Uh, so I don't know what really that adds to a I really like them. Bike. They're really cool. And uh, I've seen one carrying up to six people. Um, which I feel like is more than the bike was built to do. Yeah, and a trip generally costs about one soul or one soul 50 and yeah that's like 50 cents or something so it's they're really good for like nipping around but the noise of them when you go into like some of these ag dusty agricultural towns that we've been through remember that place tumble grande and we rode into town and it was just all bike taxis and the noise and the dust yeah, it, was it was like a scrum of them yeah it was kind of apocalyptic <laughs> So I mentioned we're sitting outside of a cerveceria and this is something else that we're now encountering very frequently. They, like, when we lived in London, we ate a little bit of Peruvian ceviche and a oh, bit of commas. we were so cool. We were so cool going to those Peruvian restaurants and cevicheing it up. Yeah, th those were the days. But now we're, we aren't so cool because they're a dime a dozen. Yeah, no, the thing is, like, I, I kind of knew that they ate ceviche. I've actually been to Peru before, and I was like, oh, okay, they eat ceviche in Peru, right, great. But then we got here, and they, they really do eat ceviche here. It's, like, everywhere cevicheria. So, yeah, we've been, uh, we've been filling our boots a little bit, not as much as we probably could have, because it's a bit more expensive than your typical rice and chicken. Well, that's what I was going to tell you today when we were cycling along. My next aim... Uh, before we divert away from the coast is that I want to have street ceviche not ceviche from a restaurant there's plenty of carts on the side of the road where they just sell a scabby ceviche as well and I want to go for one of those because I think that's the sort of the down home what regular people eat I mean although so you know, the, the raw fish from the scabby street ceviche place is, is what you want to eat yeah 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 definitely what, what's the problem Crossing into Peru was really confusing and it didn't really go all according to plan. So that's me, I was berating an Ecuadorian border guard guy. Um, for anyone who's thinking that they might be crossing this coastal border between Ecuador and Peru, please understand that there is an old one and a new one, and you should definitely use the new one. When we were in the Ecuadorian border town of Huaquiles, someone said to us, oh yeah, if you just head down towards the market there, you know, and, and just keep going straight, you'll be in Peru, you'll cross the border. We said, okay, jobs are good in. 
and uh, went down and then yeah this is this, the busy market that we were in it was just really uh, close and cramped in and there was only really enough room for us to get our touring bikes down the little aisle that was in the market so this found this kind of felt like a pretty strange border crossing and at this point I thought I'd share with Shelley some information I learned from the Lonely Planet guide a few days earlier which said that uh, this happened to be the most well they sort of described it as the dodgiest border in South America uh, due to all these scams there's all these scams involving counterfeit money and yeah other things so I said oh Shelly yeah this is apparently the most dodgiest border and she's like what <laughs> anyway we're getting all this conflicting information as to whether we could cross the border there but we just thought oh, no, we'll just cross the, we'll just cross the bridge and head into Peru and then we were, we were in Peru. We had no stamps in our passports or anything, but straight away. And actually, once we crossed the bridge, the first thing we came across was just a quagmire. Do you remember we had to ride through all that mud? Yeah, and, and when you're riding through mud, you just got to keep pedaling. Yeah. I didn't want to put my foot down and get all muddy. <laughs> so after about 50 metres, we ran into a whole pile of uh, Peruvian policemen and women who um, immediately flagged us down and gesticulated that we ought to go back because... Um, if we continued on that way to cross the, the border, we would be robbed at gunpoint. And yeah. they were quite um, quite aggressive with you, Baden. Oh yeah, they were certain that we were going to get robbed at gunpoint. I mean, I was like, well, what, are you guys doing your job then? I mean, <laughs> and, and to sort of explain the point, because they could tell that my Spanish was pretty crap. They were like jabbing their fingers, like they shaped their uh, hands into guns and they were jabbing like the, the barrel of their gun, their index finger, into the side of my ribs. I was like, ah! But uh, yeah, I think, you know, that kind of gave us uh, the The message hint. was clear. So we were like, okay, well, this, it's pretty unlikely, but whatever, we'll just, they seemed adamant. So we went back down to the bridge with the cops. Remember this guy? So we had to go all the way back out of town, five kilometers back, and then round this corner on the other side of a swamp, basically, <laughs> and then travel five more kilometers to get to the border. And it still wasn't clear at any point where the border, where the border between Ecuador and Peru was. We're in a strange no-man's land at the moment, Baden. Unsure of whether we're entering a country illegally or not. Uh, peering eagerly up this empty, quite large highway. Wondering what's ahead. How are you feeling? I'm feeling that I definitely don't want to be riding back to Ecuador. Yeah. So if they, like, have the audacity to say, oh no, you need to go back to Ecuador to get that stamp. It's like, what? But I'm sure um, we're banking on everyone being very nice and friendly. <laughs> Is this actually something though? Okay, here we are at CBAF, the center, Centro Binacional de Atención Fronteriza. Yeah, or CBAF. Affectionately known as CBAF. Effectively, this was the exit of Ecuador and the entry to Peru all in one building. So I guess it ended up being quite efficient and you know after all the sort of <laughs> on the other side in the Joaquiles town and the border there this was kind of calm and tranquil and people were just <laughs> filling out their forms and we're like what the absolute hey why didn't why we should have just come here in the first place so we left Ecuador and entered Peru we were in and on our way to the Pacific Ocean 
since we've been here in Peru, we've been hearing a lot about El Nino. So whether it's in the news or whether it's talking to people, it's something that's um, hugely important here, especially on the coast of Peru. So El Nino actually means the boy um, or the child. And uh, it got that name from Peruvian fishermen in the 1600s who apparently called the phenomenon um, El Nino de Navidad or the Christmas child or some people say um, you know child Jesus um, so that's what El Nino means um, now it's it's something that has the force to affect weather all around the world a lot of people a lot of us have heard of it before I mean it can create droughts in Australia or mild and wet winters in Europe um, but it's actually it's actually born here um, around this part of the Pacific Ocean. It's a climactic cycle of the Pacific Ocean. And um, what causes it is, well, no one knows what triggers it. That's the thing, so you can't really predict it. Um, but basically, there's normally some trade winds that blow from the uh, east to west, and they blow all of the warm um, air and warm surface water of the ocean over across to like Indonesia and things like that. And when those trade winds break down, um, a lot of warm water um, pulls right here off this coast in, in South America, off this, off this western coast. Um, and what, normally when it's cool water, it's nutrient rich and there are a lot of fish and things like that. But uh, when the warm water's here, uh, it sort of deters the fish. And this is why those Peruvian fishermen noticed um, El Nino, because they were like, well, where have our fish gone? Um, so here it creates a lot of rain uh, because of the warm water um, there are a lot of huge rainstorms here now in the kind of 80s 90s and even today there was a lot of migration from the Andes from the highlands down here to the coast um, the population here in Peru is quite centered on on the coast and people came down here to, to find work um, and they would do when they would come down here they would build kind of makeshift homes on uninhabited land so that might be land on kind of perilous mountainsides or on the banks of rivers or around drainage areas and this of course makes their homes really really vulnerable to flooding so uh, in 1998 was the last really extreme El Nino event and it meant basically that um, all of the a lot of people's homes were washed away and a lot of people lost their lives. So people are wondering, is this the year for the next big El Nino? Um, and, and if it is, then there are a number of people along the coast that are at risk. And unfortunately, the government won't help them because they are living there illegally. They don't own that land. They're very hard to move on from that land. Um, and so while they're there illegally, the, the government won't help protect them with flood defenses or, or any help in planning. You know, we've noticed some of these shanty towns as we've been cycling along the coast. Um, I mean, we've ridden across countless bridges that have dried out riverbeds underneath them that, you know, in the event of really massive rainstorms and flooding are just going to fill up and overflow. And the other thing is we, you know, everyone eats fish here. They rely so heavily on fish. Every, there are cevicherias everywhere selling ceviche. And, um, you know, every restaurant has fried fish on the menu. So in the event of El Nino, the fishing industry suffers badly. And what are these people going to eat? So, yeah, it's, it's quite a serious situation. And um, scientists are starting to detect some of those signs that El Nino is coming this year. But no one will ever, no one ever knows how severe it's going to be. So while... 
it'll create you know colder southerlies in in a country like New Zealand here on the coast of Peru it will destroy makeshift communities and take people's livelihoods and lives El temible virus del Zika arribaría al Perú en cualquier momento. Por ello ya se toman medidas preventivas en ciudades como Tumbes, Piura, Ancash, Casma y Chimbote, donde equipos enteros fumigan casas y locales para evitar en la medida de lo posible su propagación. A little excerpt from the news reports that we've been hearing um, pretty frequently as we're eating our lunch in restaurants and watching the news on the TV um, about the Zika virus that's um, now becoming a really big problem here in Latin America. Um, we've had a few emails and messages from people people uh, in the UK and New Zealand warning us and saying, oh, be careful. Um, so yeah, we just thought we might talk about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, our families in particular, you know, I think maybe thought that we're doomed for Zika. But um, it's actually carried by the same mosquito that carries dengue fever and chikungunya as well. So, you know, it's quite rare to get bitten uh, by those and you know th those that mosquito is actually present throughout Central America as well and we've, we've got through all that way without being uh, a bite from this. Oh my gosh are you just jinxing us right here and now? Yeah <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> so so for us you know if some if we get stung the worst that can happen to us is that we would get a rash uh, would feel pretty sick uh, and have a bit of a fever for a few days. But I think I heard somewhere that like eight out of ten people don't even show any symptoms when they have Zika. So yeah, the main thing is is that I'm not pregnant, uh, and that's that's the major concern if women are pregnant. But I should we should also say that in Peru there haven't been that many cases reported. No, there. I, had, I read about one case where, you know, when the alerts were first going out, I think the Peruvian government uh, panicked a little and they went to a cemetery in Lima and they, the army fumigated it because they were worried about standing water um, in flower pots in the but cemetery. I, in that news story that we used the audio from, they were um, fumigating in Tumbes, where we were, and, yeah. and other towns along the, the north coast. Yeah, well, that was the thing. Not, not the north coast, the coast. Yeah, well, uh, up, in, up in the north of Peru, that's where it's sort of been the hot spot. And you no, know, on our first day when we arrived in Tumbes, uh, I saw a newspaper saying, Zika has arrived in the north. Mm. And uh, yeah, but um, other towns that we've been to so far, um, you, we've been even asking them, oh, do you have mosquito? Is mosquito a problem here? And they say, no, no, we don't have, we very rarely have mosquitoes at all. Yeah, and we've been near the coast as well. I guess it's the winds. We're not bitten up. It's really strange. But the other thing is, is we've seen pregnant women, are, you know, wandering about and going about their normal lives and business. And they don't seem overly concerned about the, the um, danger of getting contracting this virus and then yeah. having their child develop problems so it feels like the panic is way more in the western media you know like i saw today in the guardian oh there are four cases of um of zika in the united kingdom mm. so yeah uh, i don't know i mean in ecuador it was a small problem as well colombia you know, it's, it's a lot more but we had left colombia by the times the alerts and things were coming out so yeah, you know, Zika is something we're aware of. We're just taking our normal precautions wait, of like... Wait, wait, I take way more precautions than you do. Yeah, fair call. But, you know... <laughs> <laughs> if, 
you know, I, I, if, if we're in a buggy town, I do spray myself with that uh, industrial strength. Uh, Cancer-causing. Cancer-causing. Yeah, I mean, that's probably what's going to infect me, <laughs> this DEET that I'm putting on. So, you know, we're taking reasonable precautions. You know, if we are in a buggy town, we often would use a mosquito net if, if there's a window, and un- uncovered window and things like that. So don't worry, guys, we're, we're not going to bring Zika uh, to New Zealand. What a grand occasion and an honour for us. We were invited to a two-year-old's birthday party <laughs> in Suyana. And boy, it was a sort of cultural eye-opener. And yeah, we were invited there by our host in Suyana, Lester. Hello, I'm Lester. I'm 26 years old. Uh, I'm from Peru. And Lester, can you tell me what normally happens at a children's birthday party? Oh, uh, there are a lot of candies and the children uh, have fun, they play games and, and then dance, they dance too, a lot, yeah. And um, the music that you have uh, at the kids' birthday parties is like, I don't know, It's I feel like I'm in the club. Yeah, the same music of the discotheques or the clubs, uh, they play in the, the kids' parties. Weren't the sugar levels just insane? I mean, I think, you know, I, I mentioned to my, I, I sent a picture to my mum of like the the table that they had with all the lollies and things. She was like, oh, you want to be allowed that in New Zealand now? No one's, no one's having that much sugar anymore at parties. It's just carrot sticks and celery. Well, she didn't mention that. I just sort of assumed that I was getting into some sort of talkback radio, like it's PC gone mad type scenario. But... Really, whoa, the sugar and the kids were high in it as well. They were bouncing around the room and that a piñata. They're all in their best clothes. They're all looking super cute. And um, and even there were some things that were really different that you wouldn't have in a kid's party in New Zealand. Like there were games for the parents. And, and the parents' games were happening early on in the party. So there was... Um, this sort of sexy dance that the parents were doing to music. Oh, the music? Whoa, they had like a cranking sound system there with like a specialist um, birthday party lady. You know, this wasn't like a rich house. So I don't know, I don't think these guys, this family we were staying at were particularly rich, but they had like a, a a party MC who did this great job of keeping the atmosphere all going. just a little taste of crazy hour. Uh, La Hora Loca is something that Lester explained to us that is common in all Peruvian parties. So if you go to a wedding or a, I don't know, a christening or a 26 year old's birthday party, you're gonna have the crazy hour. So it's this one hour where everyone, they crank up the music even louder. Everyone has a long skinny sausagey balloon that they wave around. Um, everyone ha- people have cans of foam and glitter that they spray and everyone just goes mental dancing in a big circle and it's called the crazy hour and apparently it's just de rigueur in any Peruvian party you will have crazy hour and if you throw a party and you don't have the crazy hour people will be like what the hell why, 
Where where's is, Crazy Hour? Where's Laura Loca? Yeah. So, the sound of Crazy Hour. There was lots of great typical Peruvian food at the party too, which was really cool to try. You know, things like ají de gallina, which is like a chicken, uh, chicken with like this creamy sauce. Uh, chicha morada, which is like purple bits of corn. It's a drink, isn't it? That was the drink, the purple drink. Yeah, yeah it's like purple corn. Then they make this drink out of it. And then they have uh, mazamora, where they make a sort of a jelly, uh, a jelly sort of thing with the purple corn. Uh, whoa, it's, it was awesome. And then when we went to Chiclayo, we tried two of their most famous dishes. What was served to us was uh, arroz con pato, which is basically duck rice. And that was the one that he was getting really passionate about. This was a dish he was saying... Uh, it was a th- 100 years old, it was invented in Chiclayo, all the restaurants have their own um, special recipe for it. So we thought, yeah, we've got to try it, arroz con pato, we've got to get it on. But really, it's just rice and duck. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really tasty and delicious, and you'd hope so, because we paid a little bit more for it. Um, but uh, I didn't... There wasn't anything super original. Apparently the dish was invented in Chiclayo, in inverted commas. I'm like, invented? It's just, you've yeah, just cooked I mean, duck. Probably invented in Hong Kong as well. Yeah. yeah, and what I was served was, um, what was it? Tortilla de Reya. And basically that is a manta ray omelette. And I thought that was quite cool and unusual and very tasty, apart from all the little bits of manta ray um, gristle and stuff that was in there. So but, you liked the omelette apart from the manta ray is what you're saying? Well no, the manta ray gristle. Oh. The manta ray meat was very tasty but you know stingrays have a lot of gristle as I sort of found out. But you know I was just crunching through it anyway. Yeah. But um, yeah and I was going oh I'll get, I was trying to get some excitement going about the tortilla de reya and here he was like oh yeah we also do this. But I thought that was by far much more the highlight. It was very tasty. One of the best omelettes I've had in a little while. <laughs> Maiden, obviously, uh, we know where we're heading next. We're heading to the city of Trujillo. Um, yeah, I guess we've got to knock out that rest of the 30k. It's starting to get hot now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so we need, we need to do that. And, and we will spend a couple of days in Trujillo, so we'll, we'll hopefully... Um, do some interesting things for the podcast on the next next episode in, in that city. But after Trujillo? Well, I don't really know exactly. I mean, we're heading for Lima, uh, but we don't really want to keep going along the coast. And so we're going to try head in and uh, treat ourselves to a bit of climbing in the Andes again. <laughs> and uh, yeah, check out what uh, Peruvian Andean culture is going to be like. This is one thing I, I'm not sure we're going to have to work it out when we get to Trujillo, but there's this um, canyon I've heard about. Oh, it kind of it goes with the last uh, segment. <laughs> it's called Duck Canyon. I wonder if they'll have duck rice there as well. <laughs> but in Duck Canyon, what is it? Uh, Canyon del Pato, is that what they call it? Yeah, um, it's kind of like some spectacular canyon. There will be cycling up. There'll be, there's something like 36 single lane tunnels on the route. 
That so, sounds a little scary. Yeah, I don't know if it's actually going to be on the way that we're going. But yeah, we're going up into the Andes again, up to probably another 4,000 metres. Just like that, just like that, eh, babe? Just, just like oh, that. Yeah, just yeah like... We'll, we'll just knock it out. That's all for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. And we'd love to know how you are and where you are. So you can head to our blog, howareyouwhereareyou.com and post a comment under this podcast. And also see photos of our adventure along the coast. Um, There are links on the blog as well. So you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on SoundCloud. And in fact, you can pop your email address into a little box on there as well. And we send out a monthly update just a note each month. And you can... Yeah, get a little bit of extra extra insight that way. Yeah, we've been really chuffed actually. Uh, the number of listeners is really like going up a lot. It seems I don't know how accurate the data is, <laughs> but um, so and by a lot, do you mean more than just our family are listening? Yeah, I mean I, I don't think we have that much family uh, who seem to be listening all the time. And if you, yeah, I mean it's it's kind of amazing that we're cycling along through. Know, Peru and the desert and stuff and then you guys are listening to our experiences about that it's kind of feels strange but it's kind of cool as well <laughs> so um, so if you like the podcast or even if you don't really like it that much if you could just um, go into iTunes look up you know how are you where are you and uh, leave a review that would really help us out and really uh, yeah it will help us um, try and find more listeners as well God, I'll be so smiley if you do that. Um, also, if you're wondering how we get from place to place and you'd like a little bit more info about the individual places that we're visiting, um, you can go on to our blog and we have this interactive map. So if you click on the little black lines between each of the places, we do a little da- daily diary type thing so you can get a little more info there. Um, also, you can ask Baden online at Baden C on Twitter or he's Baden Cycling on Instagram. So any questions you can All your cycle touring questions. Why not? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they they call me the Oracle. Uh, Thank you as always to Callum Campbell for the original music in this podcast. And until next time, ciao. Bye. Bye.